normally have a sermon outline, but uh, it's at this time, at, at Christmas time, and over the summer holiday, we tend to put that into abeyance. So uh, there's no outline this morning, so you'll need to make notes in your own way. If you need to get out your phone to make notes, I'll have to trust you not to do anything other than make notes or read the scriptures this morning. Remember, the Lord is watching you. At this time of Advent, the Christian season, the four Sundays before Christmas Day, Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival or appearance. And so we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. And during Advent, we remember that the time that Jesus' coming was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. From the earliest chapters of Genesis, there's a picture of one who will come and put things right. During the time of Advent, we emphasize the importance of the incarnation, that is the taking on of flesh. Incarnation from the Latin means to take on flesh, of God taking on flesh, taking on meat, and being born among us to show us what God is really like. To remind ourselves that the baby in the manger is the teacher, the healer, the miracle worker, the saviour on the cross, the one who rose from the tomb, the one who ascended into heaven. And during this season of Advent is to encourage us and to remind us that we are not just looking back on past historical events, but we are living in expectation, in excitement, and anticipation of what is still to occur. We are waiting for the parousia, the parousia is the Greek word that means the appearance, the return, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we spend some time in Advent over these four weeks as we celebrate the coming of the baby in the manger of God in the flesh, that we also celebrate the promise of the unveiling, the return, the final judgment, the great and glorious day of the Lord, the parousia. Everyone say parousia, parousia, the Greek word for arrival, the appearance, the revelation. And for that, we turn this morning to Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, where we read the very words of Jesus about these things. In Matthew chapter 24, we find ourselves in Holy Week, that is the days before Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus and his disciples are walking in and out of Jerusalem, going to and from the temple, where Jesus is teaching and healing and upsetting the religious leaders. And the temple is an impressive set of buildings, and the disciples seem to think that Jesus is not really impressed enough with them. And so we read in Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked, Jesus asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus tells his disciples that everything in the temple will be destroyed, will be thrown down, not one stone left on top of another. This upsets the disciples. So they come to him later and they ask him two questions. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Two questions. Everybody show me two. Two questions. Question number one, 
when will this happen? That is, when will the temple be destroyed? And question number two, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of of the age? And the word there translated into English coming is the Greek word parousia. What will be the sign of your parousia and the end of the age? You see, the disciples have realized that Jesus is the Messiah, the one spoken about in the Old Testament. He is the promised king. And they think, they're starting to think, they're starting to realize that all those dreadful and terrible, frightening promises, the prophecies about the day of the Lord, will be fulfilled when Jesus reveals himself publicly as the Messiah. And this will be the end of the age. When Jesus' full majesty and glory is revealed, the old things are swept away and a new age begins. The age of the kingdom of God. Jesus answers their questions. He talks, first of all, about the destruction of the temple. It won't happen straight away, he says, but it will happen in the lifetime of that generation. He says there'll be signs that it's about to happen. And Jesus advises his followers to run, to get out of Jerusalem, to flee into the wilderness. It's going to be awful, he says. And what Jesus predicts comes true. There is a Jewish rebellion against the Roman Empire, as Sela spoke about this morning. They're singing Hosanna. They're expecting the Messiah to come and beat up the Romans. And so the Jews have a rebellion against the Romans, 40 years after Jesus made this prophecy. The legions roll in. They sweep up vast crowds of Jews, and they crush them all up into Jerusalem, and they lay the city under siege. It lasts for months. The place becomes a place of famine and plague and disaster. Romans breach the wall. They break their way in. They kill everyone. They destroy the city. They demolish the temple to get at the treasure and the gold inside. And they wipe the temple mount flat clean. They clear off every rock, every stone, every brick off the top of Jerusalem's mountain table. Mountain. The Jerusalem temple mounts. And then they build a temple to their own god, Jupiter, in its place. All of this happens in the year 70. And you can read about it in the secular histories. There are documentaries about this on the History Channel. Not that you should trust the History Channel. But there are books and stories and historians who talk about these events happening. The Christians knew Jesus' prophecy about these things. And so when they saw the Roman legion starting to come, they remembered what Jesus said. And instead of running into Jerusalem with everyone else, they ran the other way. And so the Jewish Christians survived. Hundreds of thousands of others were killed. The Christians took Jesus seriously. They ran away to the wilderness. And most of them survived the destruction of Jerusalem. All of that is covered in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 25, and then a little bit from 32 to 35. And it's mostly about, that part of Matthew 24 is, I believe, mostly about the destruction of the temple in the first century. That answers the disciples' first question. Their second question was, what will be the sign of your coming, your parousia, and of the end of the age? And I believe this is covered in the second half of Matthew 24, 
from 26 to 31, and then from verse 36 onwards. And there are three main things I want to talk about this morning. To take from Jesus' teaching about his return, about his unveiling, about his parousia. First of all, Jesus' return will be obvious to all. Jesus' return will be obvious to all, not secret, not hidden, open and blatant. You see, Jesus has been warning his disciples that there will be many false prophets and rumors and speculation about his return, especially during the days of the destruction of the temple. But Jesus' followers are not to believe them, not to listen to these rumors, because, Jesus says, as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite name for himself. When Jesus talks about himself in the third person, he talks about the Son of Man. Jesus says it will be obvious that something is happening, obvious to all. He says there will be signs in the sky. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then he says, and then will appear the Son of, the man, son of man in heaven. And all the peoples. How many of the peoples? How many? Most of them? All of them. All the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. This will be an unmissable and unmistakable event. No matter where you are on the planet, you will know something amazing is happening. Everyone. Everyone, everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. The angels will blow their trumpets and the people of God, the chosen, the elect, that's you and me, by the way. Everyone who's repented and believed will be gathered, he says, from the four winds, from the far corners of the earth, and even from one end of the heavens to the other. So if you're going with Elon Musk to Mars, you still will be caught up with this. All right, there's no getting away from it. There's no escaping. No matter where you are, you will be part of this. There are cults and there are sects and there are strange teachings out there that speak of a secret return of Christ or a return of Jesus where he'll only be revealed to certain special people. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Christ returned in 1918. How can you read this passage of Scripture and believe that Jesus came back in 1918? I do not understand. No. Jesus is very clear. His return, his parousia, will be public, will be obvious, and will be noticed by all people. Not just Christians, not just a select few, all people. Secondly, the return of Christ will be sudden and without further warning. There is some confusion among many readers when we go through Matthew 25 because Jesus is answering how many questions? Two questions. One question about the destruction of temple, which will have signs and warnings and sufficient advance notice for the people in the first century to know it's going to happen, to escape and to flee to safety. And the second question, about his return and the end of the age, which will have no warning. 
no sign and no time for people to flee or escape and nowhere they can flee or escape. And so we have two parables here in the middle of the chapter with two seemingly contradictory messages. For instance, in verses 32 to 35, there's a parable of the fig tree. Jesus says, by looking at the fig tree, take a lesson from it. By watching its twigs and its leaves, the observant person will notice when summer is coming. In Australia, he might have said, when the mangoes start to go really ripe, you know that summer's just around the corner. Here he says the fig tree, look at the twigs and the leaves, you'll notice there's signs. And so Jesus says there will be signs of the destruction of the temple and that this generation, the generation Jesus is talking to in the first century, will not pass away until all these things have happened. But, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then he says, but about that day, He's talking about the second question, about that day, the day when Jesus perusia, when he is revealed, when he comes again. About that day, he says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. On that day, there will be no warning, no notice. No one knows what will happen, not the angels, not even Jesus himself. Only the Father God knows the day. And he goes on and says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He says, for the no days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. In those days, things were traveling along as normal. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus is not talking about the wickedness of the days of Noah. You know, there are Christians who say that things that Jesus can't come back until things are as bad today as they were in the days of Noah. That's not in the Bible at all. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about the moral condition of the people of Noah's day. He's talking about their ignorance about what was about to happen to them and their total state of surprise and shock. And here comes the parable. In contrast to the fig tree and being aware of what's happening, here the story is about a thief in the night. Understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. If the owner of a house has advanced notice of a burglar coming, they'd stay up and catch him in the act. But you cannot know when the thief in the night is coming. And Jesus says, so it will be with the kingdom of God on that day. So be ready. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Dear friends, there will be no further warning. There is nothing else that needs to happen. There is nothing we can do to speed his arrival and there is nothing we can do to slow his appearance. Any moment could be your last on this earth. So be ready. Be ready. Because thirdly, the return of Christ will be for eternal judgment and the end of the age. The rest of Matthew chapter 24 is another parable about wise and faithful servants who are found doing the right things when their master returns unexpectedly and they are rewarded with great honors. 
And it's also about wicked servants who get drunk and abuse their fellow servants because they have no fear of the return of the master. And there will be consequences, Jesus said. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then into Matthew 25, because we have later added the chapters and verses, Jesus is telling these stories all in one row. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus continues on with the parable of, about being on this theme of being ready for judgment. He tells the story of the young women, the ten virgins, as we talked about in the kids' time, five of whom were ready for the bridegroom and went into the wedding feast, and five of whom were not ready and were locked out forever. Those terrible words of Jesus, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And then in Matthew chapter 25, the next parable is about servants being left with bags of gold to invest on behalf of their master. And two of them being faithful with what they've been trusted and the third being pathetic and useless and ending up with nothing but destruction, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then a third parable, this one about a king sitting on a throne of judgment and dividing all the nations, all the people of the world into two groups, like a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Those who have served and loved and cared and sacrificed, Jesus says, for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, are rewarded with an internal inheritance, a kingdom prepared for them since the creation of the world. They hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. And then on the other side, those who've been selfish and cruel and unforgiving and lazy and greedy, they're described as cursed and are told to depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They will go away to eternal punishment, for the righteous to eternal life. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke about his return, about his appearance, about his parousia. It was a vital part of his teaching, and it's important for us to remember. Three things this morning. Jesus' return will be public and obvious to all. Jesus' return will be without further sign or warning. It could occur at any moment. And Jesus' return will be for final and ultimate and eternal judgment. There'll be no more chance to repent and believe once that day has come. Are there any questions this morning about anything I've spoken about? For those visiting with us, I'd like to stop and see if there are questions in case I've confused or upset or you'd like to know more about something I've said or if I was unclear. I see plenty of waving hands, but none of them are waving at me. A reminder, if you'd like to talk about these things, perhaps what I've said this morning is different to how you've heard this story told before, I'd love to discuss that with you. My email address is there. My phone number is there. I'm not on holidays this week. I'm happy to discuss these things with you. The question is, what should we do? In response to these words of Jesus, what should we do? When I was a small boy, I was terrified of the day of Christ's return. 
because for some reason my dad insisted that we read these really scary comic books about the rapture and the tribulation and about being left behind. They were good books. They were good comic books. I think they were the only comic books we had in the house when I was a kid. So they were better than nothing, but they were scary. They were terrifying. And I can remember coming home from primary school one day. My brother and sister had gone off to high school, so I'd walk home from primary school alone. And I came in, and the front door of the house was open, which was a bit strange. And no one was there. And as I wandered through the house looking for mum, I did not find my mum, but I did find a pot of something bubbling on the stove. And at that moment, I thought, oh, no, I've missed the return of Christ. I've missed the rapture. I'm going to have to live through the tribulation, and I'm going to go to hell. And I was terrified, as only an 11-year-old with a vibrant, a vibrant imagination can be. I've missed it. I've missed my chance to go to heaven. Well, no. Mom had just been called next door to help a neighbor who'd had an accident. And she'd rushed out of the house because she'd seen the neighbor fall down the stairs or something. But for those five minutes, I was utterly terrified. Friends, you don't have to be terrified. You don't have to be frightened. You can know here and now today where you will stand on that final day. You get to decide whether you'll be in or out. Whether you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or whether you hear, Depart from me, you cursed. Because, dear friends, Jesus tells us how to get in. He tells us how to be on his right side on that day. What does he say? Let's read it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus calls on all of us to repent and believe, to change the way we live, to live his way to follow his directions for life, to trust him, to believe in him, to rely on him and what he has done to save us. And you can do that today and tomorrow and every day. Repent and believe. Turn, trust and travel. And you will be ready ready for when the Son of Man comes on the cloud of heavens with his Father's angels, and every eye will see him. This is also a day for great celebration. Talking about the return of Christ can be a scary thing, but it's a joyful thing as well, because we know, we know that there is coming a day when all suffering all abuse, all violence, all cheating, all stealing, all sin will come to an end. And there will be consequences. There will be justice, terrible, swift and fair. And all things will be made right. Everything will be set the way God wants it to be. And that is something to celebrate, something to look forward to, something to rejoice over. What a day that will be. I'm looking forward to it. How about you? We don't have to live in fear of evil dictators getting away with it, or wicked men getting away with it, or the abuse of children going unpunished, or whatever wicked thing you think of in the world is getting there, but getting away with it. They will not get away with it, dear friends. There is coming a day of judgment when everyone will stand and give an account and Jesus will decide. 
Jesus will be the judge on that day. What a day that will be. Charles Wesley talks about this day in his great Advent hymn, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favoured sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Hallelujah. God appears on earth to reign. A beautiful song that speaks of the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's my prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we pray. At this time of Advent, as we celebrate the baby in the manger and the incarnation, Father God, help us not to forget to celebrate the return, the parousia, the end of all things when Jesus comes to put this world, this sad and sorry world, out of its misery and bring a new world, the kingdom of God, into fruition. Father God, we look forward to that day. And if it is your will that we be alive When he comes, then, Father God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And for our brothers and sisters who have passed on and who who are at rest until that day, Father God, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want to see our loved ones again. But, Father, most of all, we pray that we would be found ready on that day. And the Lord Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Help us to be ready each and every day and be living in joyful expectation of a time when things will be set right and all will be well in your kingdom. Father God, speak to our hearts and use this message of Jesus to motivate us to live good and holy lives and to point others to him. All of this we pray in his precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen.